Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadback. I'm coming to you live. Well, it's live right now. It's recorded for you. But coming to you uh, from what I have often called my podcast studio, which is actually uh, my daughter's bedroom, old bedroom. Anyway, uh, the lecture you're about to hear is for Psychology 3196, Human Evolutionary Uh, I think I was talking uh, with Joey before class about paper topics. One of the things that I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people take psychology classes and go into psychology in general because they're interested in psychology disorders, right? I mean that's that's why I became a psych major. Then I found that I had enough personal problems that I really probably shouldn't be advising people in any way other than please take this course. Um, and maybe fix your memory section. But uh, maybe one person in this room. Anyway, but see, the thing is, I think this will peak some great ideas for papers for you because I think a lot of people are interested in this stuff. Uh, you can sign up now if you've got approval. I, I look at my phone and I, it keeps buzzing and people are sending me paper ideas. So that's great. Um, I think this will help you that way. Uh, did, did, did you guys also take a look at this thing? I realize I just sent it to you yesterday, but I just found this paper. Did you take a look at the paper and the responses yeah. that I sent? Um, we'll talk about that when we get to the stuff on depression, because that's the article that that stuff comes from. And I thought, well, we'll send you the original source. So, there's a buzz from that speaker, and I hate it, but I'm not worried about it. Okay. Yes, I am going to worry about it, but I'm not going to go touch anything and fix it because I'm not going to be weird about it. I'm just going to stay. I'm going to talk about it though incessantly. You probably didn't think you'd use evolutionary theory to think about the, uh, you know things like depression, schizophrenia, autism. Ha <laughs> ha! You're wrong. You can. Um, one of the issues, and in fact, this is one of the things that I think there's a misunderstanding of one of the people who wrote one of those letters to the editor. The third one, you look at those letters in the uh, links I sent you, the person says, depression can't be an adaptive thing because it's bad. And that's completely misunderstanding how things work. Okay? Things can evolve and be nasty and unpleasant and disorders. Things can evolve and be sickle cell anemia. Right? Yeah, that's why I picked that idea. Come on. Um, so... It makes the things are problematic. You know, actually, it is against university policy to do that. And I kid you not. I kid you not. You know why? First of all, there's these things called keys that you can use to unlock doors. That's the first reason. The second reason is if there's a fire, we can't have anybody blocking the door. Fire code violation, having a, a, a trash can leaving a door. And I'm not kidding. And I now I'll move on. Why do things like that bother me? There's got to be an evolutionary reason for that because my ancestors were jerks. Okay. So if we look at things like we talked about murder the other day, I think we'd all agree that murder is not good. Now, some people sometimes need a little killing, but. (laughs) But the point is, I don't think any of us would say that murder is good. Yet we can certainly say that we can look at murder from an evolutionary perspective. Right? We're going to talk about, on Thursday, we're going to talk about mating. 
And one of the things that we can talk about there, and we'll talk a little bit about, is a very nasty thing called forced copulation in evolutionary biology. We call that rape or sexual assault. We talk about people. It's not nice. This guy's a horrible bad. But we can talk about the evolutionary approach to it, right? So just because something has an evolutionary angle doesn't make it good or anything like that. That's, that's the naturalistic fallacy. Don't ever fall for that. I think I talked about that on the first day. Don't fall for the naturalistic fallacy. The idea that just because something is an evolved thing doesn't make it a good thing or a bad thing. It just makes it a thing. Okay? All right. So that's sort of by way of introduction. Right? This work, most of this work on an evolutionary approach to disorders is a pretty new thing. Okay? How many of you are taking psychopathology? Have you talked about evolutionary angles on stuff? Probably not, because it's, this is a new way to look at stuff. Okay? It's not like this is a neuroscience class or cognition or something, or even social. I know that you can look at that from an evolutionary angle, or religion. Um, you can look at those things from an evolutionary perspective. Disorders, for some reason, haven't been a whole lot. So this is early days of this. So some disorders may be defenses. And we'll talk about things like that. So they may in fact be, I don't mean defense mechanism in the Freudian sense, but Freud is a very old man from Vienna who took crash. I mean defenses in terms of ways to combat some environmental stressor. Let's put it that way. Okay? And we'll talk about well, depression is one, maybe, is, that may be a way to look at depression. They could be side effects of fitness enhancing genes. Okay? So, maybe somebody's really focused on something. Right? That's usually going to be a good thing. And then when it's too much, nah, that's not as good as going somewhere and save that one for another example. Uh, sometimes you may have heard this said that people who are creative are more likely to be schizophrenic. Right? Have psychotic disease. Probably true. But let's say it's the case that creativity, which you know creative problems all be a great thing. A side effect of that maybe uh, sometimes you start hearing voices and thinking of Napoleon. By the way, why do people only hear their voices from or think they are famous people? No one ever says, people say, I'm Napoleon Bonaparte or perhaps Dynamite. No one ever says, I'm Steve, the guy next door. Just a different guy, I'm just saying. Um, could be frequency-dependent selection. What about being something like a psychopath, right? So somebody who has no regard for others whatsoever. If you're like this, it's probably a good strategy if it's rare. If everybody's like this, we all fight, and many of us don't pass on our genes. But if a few of us are taking advantage of others, it always going to work if it's only a few of us, isn't it? These aren't mutually exclusive, by the way. It could be the absence or mal malfunctioning of a, of a cognitive module. 
So when you think about something like autism, one of the problems that people with autism have is uh, theory of mind. They aren't very good at knowing how, what others think. We probably have a theory of mind module. Theory of mind just is, I roughly know how your mind works. I don't know what it means to decide it until I've developed a certain app that I will have out soon. But I've said too much. But I know that you think the same way I do. Because humans think roughly the same way. So I know that there are times, if I, there's certain things if I did write, did the right now, I would know that they would be inappropriate. And you can make up your own joke there. But people with autism have to be taught this because they don't know how other people will react. So they have a malfunction, they may have a malfunctioning theory of mind module. Okay? All right. So these are some, and they, this, any of these uh, things we'll talk about, like I said, these are not um, mutually exclusive. Okay. There is a big disconnect between the EEA and now. Right? There really is. So we don't live anywhere close to the way people lived 200,000 years ago, or even up to 10,000 years ago. Hardly anybody is left on the planet who is There are some peoples in Brazil, like the Amazon. There is an island in the Indian Ocean where there are people that are so extremely violent outsiders that people just don't go there. And they throw spears. They throw spears. You've seen these guys, right? And I think that island is is, uh, technically part of, it's not India. I can't remember. Maybe Sri Lanka? can't remember. But, yeah, they're pretty nasty. They throw spears at people that approach them. So everybody's like, look, they're living their life. They seem like they're doing okay. We're just going to let them be. They're living the way people, their ancestors lived 120,000 years ago. There's very few people left. Yeah, I guess it was during the tsunami, after the tsunami, they tried to do some relief efforts. Boats show up and people are throwing spears at it. It's like, okay, so fine. You guys are good? Still making spears, I see. Okay. Pretty good at that, so you must have enough food. I guess things are good, we'll see you later. And they've been they're sort of protected by the UN in essence. So that's kind of kind of you know nice in a way that they are being interfered with, sort of like a prime directive on Star Trek thing. But uh, what if what if we gave them iPhones? No, they don't need that. There's no coverage out there. And there are extremes of polygenetic traits. So a lot of traits that we have are polygenetics. It's a lot of genes that come together and an extreme version of it. So when I talked about having too much focus on something, there's another thing that might be like autism. That's why I wanted to save that, that example. Over here, that speaker's still buzzing. There. Make sense? Okay, let's talk about some specific stuff. Let's talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, this should be more common in human-made situations. Because if this is a case of something where we have a disconnect between the EEA and now, it should be something that... Well, think about it. We've, had, we've been in bad situations. Humans have had faced some really bad stuff over time. Right? We all, all of us, this is amazing, go back to about probably 2,000 survivors of a climate change crisis about 250,000 years ago. 
everybody else was dead. Yet we still run the planet, which makes us pretty awesome. So that's something pretty nasty. We've dealt through you know, famine and all these horrible things. We've dealt with all these things. We should have mechanisms to deal with these. So it should be in sort of human-made situations where you end up with PTSD, and it very often is. It isn't always, but it very often is. And people often say, well, there's always been warfare. And that's true. In fact, even our closest relative, the chip, uh, they'll fight with, with speeders, basically. With sharpened sticks. Chips are also assholes, not just humans. People say, well, there's always been warfare. Why do you know, soldiers come back in combat? Why are they end up not the kind of weapons we have today? No one blew anybody's head off during the EEA. No one called in an airstrike and watched a plane drop napalm on somebody. That wasn't a thing. And while there are accounts of people getting... of soldiers coming back from wars being changed, that's not surprising. The first accounts of, of, of soldiers having something that we would today call PTSD is World War I, when, when basically the you know, modern killing machine of warfare was basically invented as World War I. So the first time you hear about things uh, called, at the time, originally, lack of moral fiber. Way to go, Britain. Yes, it's because the guy's a coward. That's why he's shivering frightened and thinks about death all the time and can't sleep. No, it's because he was in a trench fighting Germans. Watching his buddies get killed. Did they call it shell shock? Shell shock was at first in World War One. World War Two we started calling it battle fatigue, which makes it sound a little bit better. It's like a little bit nicer. Right? And uh, eventually battle fatigue was used up until the geez, they talk about battle fatigue in Vietnam. Now today we talk about PTSD. What about railway spine? About what? Railway spine. I don't, I've never heard of that. We covered it in abnormal psych, or it was in like intro psych way back, and okay. we talked about What's it. That? It was one of the, um, it was one of the symptoms of PTSD. What is it? I don't remember. No. <laughs> I thought you know. I don't know stuff. I told you. I, I, I took abnormal in, 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 in 1985. I think, I think it was maybe so. like similar to shell shock, like where you freeze up and you kind of. Paralyzed by fear. Or something. Yeah, the I data on paralyzed by fear are not nearly as good as people think they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read some stuff literally about a month ago on that. I don't know why I was reading that stuff because it's not my thing. But I read an article on that, and it's not quite as clear as it has been made out to be. Okay. Yep. What would be the evolutionary advantage to fighting someone from your own species? Don't worry. Species, stop thinking. Oh, don't think about this species. Think about individuals. No, but you were saying the chimps that were fighting each other. They're, 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 so they're chimps. Oh, because be Steve the chimp is, wants to kill Eddie the chimp so he can take Eddie's food and have sex with his wife. <laughs> I don't think they call them wives with chimps. But <laughs> but if you're killing someone from your own thing, what would be the advantage? I just told you. I don't, I don't think I have. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's evolution... Genes are selfish. Animals are selfish. Think about it from the gene perspective. Think about it from the individual perspective, not from the species perspective. It doesn't work that way. Group selection doesn't work. Because if everybody... Let's pretend for a second that everybody's going to be nice. And you're all going to... Um, I don't know. We're all going to pool our money. We're all going to go out for dinner. We're not. 
But let's pretend. And we're all going to, we decided we're all going to, um, pool our money and, and buy some food. A big pizza party. So we collect all the money, and we got, I don't know, a group this size, and with your huge student incomes, we'd end up, what, a couple hundred bucks. Ten cents. And I order ten pizzas. But, uh, I don't know, let's say, probably Maria didn't put any money in. Obviously. Because I know her, and she's nefarious. <laughs> hey, now you did that. I, that was I'm not, allowed to. I'm Italian. I was not thinking that, but now, now I'm kind of frightened of you. Um, now Maria has won. She got food and didn't pay for it. That's great. Now let's think. Well, we should all put our money in. If we all start acting like Maria. Maria win, that, that wins every time. Being selfish is going to win. It's like the food story thing we talked about where if one bird decides not to store food, not to recover its own, or doesn't recover its own seeds, that's going to spread everywhere and there's not going to be food story anymore because I'm going to rely on recovering everybody else's seeds. Yeah, so you've got to think about it from the individual perspective, not from the species perspective, ever. ever. I'm thinking of it in terms of survival, but I guess it's... That's, yeah, survival of you, not Eddie the Chimp. But wouldn't everyone have a greater chance of surviving if you helped each other? Like, if everyone helped each other out? Oh, that's one approach, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. One, that's and humans do that a lot. Humans yeah. do that a lot. But what are wars fought on? Resources? Resources, yeah. Right? Um, you have stuff I don't have, and I want more of your stuff. Because I will live, and my family will live. When militaries train soldiers, they actually train them to be like family. Right? You're, you're doing this for the guy beside you. Right? That's an important part of, 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 of when they train you. Because then you're, they're, they're co-opting an evolutionary mechanism we have in the family. Militaries have been doing this for years. You co-opt that and you make it into, those are my buddies and I'll, I'll, I'll fall on a grenade for those guys. Right? Um, Go ahead. For PTSD, you said, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of cases are um, with soldiers that come from yeah, sure. the military. But they aren't all, I'm not saying it was, it's, it's always stuff that's, that's human made. Well, that's what I mean. So no. if it's a large, you're saying it's largely because of human made stuff, right? Yes, but it's not only. There's no way I could say that because people that have, yeah, if you say sexual assault, there's been rape ever since there's been, before we were even human. Right. So, I mean, those cases are, uh, I'm going to use the word natural, which you know you know doesn't mean good, are natural. The man-made things, the human-made things aren't. So you get the EEA today discount. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it isn't always the case. I'm not explaining every case of PTSD that way. That wouldn't be correct. And I'm not explaining it. I'm, I guess I kind of explain it. I explain it functionally, not mechanistic. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a good point. It's a strong point. You should keep that in mind. So I sent you guys a paper about depression. And remember what depression is, just to quickly go over this. It's not just feeling down. It's not the way we commonly use it. In popular parlance, when people say, I feel least, I, oh, I'm so depressed today. No, you're not. Unless we are. In the case, well, it's but I mean, you know what I mean. <coughs> it's the length and the severity. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
It's feelings of worthlessness. It's a lack of motivation. It's not getting out of bed in the morning because if you do, you'll screw up anyway. It's that kind of thinking. Okay? You know that. But I'm just reviewing that quickly. That's why I went through it in 40 seconds. The question you should ask yourself is how could this be adapted? And this is the paper I sent to you guys yesterday. Um, I never know how to pronounce this guy's name. I think it's. I kind of want to think it might be Nessa, because Nessie makes it sound like he's a Loch Ness monster. So you've never seen him? No, I've never, never seen him interviewed or anything. Actually, no, I heard him interviewed once, but I just think they called him by his first name. But Jesse is the same. See, J. that's right. So. But I'm thinking it just seems like he's German. Yeah, his name is Nessa? Say Nessie with flame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a scoot, yeah. Kind of a sweet German. Speak more movie German. <laughs> Hansi Ho. Halt. I ran into a German sailor at a, at a bar in Halifax. And I said, he, he looked at me, and I, I saw his uniform, and I, I'm sort of a military geek, so I looked at him, and I said, Ja, Bundeslöde, ja? Which means federal Navy. He goes, Ja, Sprechen Sie Deutsch? I said, No. no. <laughs> Just really warm movie German. So, you know, Hansi Hall, Halt. He said, that's okay, I speak a pretty good English. Would you like me to buy you a beer? I said, yes, I would. So that's I how would. you hit on people at the bar. <laughs> that's how what? That's how you hit on people at the bar. I wasn't hitting on anybody. I was like, wow, German Navy. I don't see that every day. Of course, in Halifax, we do see that. So. Yeah, just this cool. It's the same. Part. I ran into two guys in the, in the, in the, one in the bathroom. One guy I said, you're with the USS Independence. He said, how do you know that, sir? American service people always call you sir. And I said, I'm a spy. <laughs> he looked at me and I said, you have a flash on your shoulder. And it says USS Independence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, you're with the Sixth Fleet, right? You just came back from enforcing these sanctions against uh, the former Yugoslavia. How do you know that? I said, again, spy. <laughs> he said, actually, I watch CNN. I said, what are you boys doing here? He said, uh, whatever girls, sir. I said, carry on, sailor. It's kind of fun. Okay. What, the, what his idea is, is that depression is an adaptation for telling us we're doing it wrong, whatever it may be. We're doing something, we're going the wrong way. Is what he, I think he actually used that, that term. So... Now, this is going to sound callous and it's not meant to be, okay? But if you have screwed up something, withdrawal makes sense because you did something incorrectly. I'm not saying it's your fault, but you're depressed and you're depressed, please. Don't blame the victim. That's not what I was doing. Let me make that clear. One day when I do that, I'm gonna just my a vein's gonna explode and it's gonna be awful and I'm gonna be ground screaming and having a heart attack. You guys will all think it's an act, all laughing the whole while it's being streamed live on the internet. But anyway, um, so if you think of it as an adaptation, now think of it this way: a small bit of don't do that anymore and withdraw is good. A couple of weeks is good. Six weeks. Eight weeks is bad. We start calling that major depressive disorder, right? 
And that, in fact, I think six weeks is the number, if I'm not mistaken, in the DSM. I think it changes if it's seasonal. Okay, well, talk about seasonal. What's that? I think that's a huge depression. Okay. Um, major is three months. Three months. Okay, three months is even worse. Yeah. I remember when my when my father died. I remember talking to my mom and, and her saying, you know, that she felt like she had no motivation. Everything. I said, you're supposed to feel that way. Dad died. That makes sense. It just makes sense. It's okay. I said, when you feel like that in three months, six months, that's a problem. But right now, that just makes sense. Of course, you feel like that. We all feel like that. You know. So. You did something that didn't work. Don't expend resources and energy on things that do that don't work. So that's how depression itself could be adaptive. Okay, it's not saying it's nice or fun. So I hope you can now see the adaptive value of withdrawal, both socially and behaviorally, for limited periods of time. But so. If you don't expend resources on energy and other things that don't work, but if you're someone with depression, wouldn't you also, when you withdraw, you don't expect energy, expend energy and resources on things that do work? Because well, but think of it this way: today we have options. Two hundred thousand years ago, what were your options? They didn't know. Yeah, it was like, well, <laughs> I guess I'll change my job. So. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I'm going to go tell the head of our loosely knit family group of 50 people that I quit? Like, that's not, you don't have that option back then. Okay, and because in the article they also said yeah. that it was adaptive for other people. Yes. Because then you're not expending energy on resources. And, and, of course, and, and you got to remember this, and this is not group selection, deal, but you got to remember this. In the EA, <laughs> we live with between 30 and 50 closely related family members. Like our... I guess I just like calling it a group. I don't think it's a herd because it's a weird name. Uh, herd of humans. Uh, yeah, what do we call humans? We call them a gang. Clan. Clan. Clan's good. Let's go clan. Yeah, let's go clan with a C. With a C. Please. with a C, not a K. That's the problem with the word clan, right? They've taken that perfectly good word and wrecked it. Let's go, Clint. Somebody's got to clip that out and put it on the internet. It's going to say, Broadbeck says the Klan is good. <laughs> Look, he said it on the internet. But you have the, the important part here is the, the bounce back. Is the after a couple of weeks or a week or whatever, is you come back. Then it's adaptive and it's sensible. The Maladaptive part, of course, comes when you don't bounce back. Right? <clears throat> so, there's this notion of a depression threshold. And that's that when you lose, and I mean, if we're thinking all this in sort of game theory, when you lose at something, um, you don't find food, you don't... Uh, you lose a mate, you have a baby, and your kid dies in childbirth, which used to happen a lot. You feel bad about it, and the feeling bad then is when you slow down. And then we have a threshold of how much how much bad do we feel before we just shut off and withdraw for a little while. That's the notion of the depression threshold. And certain people's depression thresholds then 
have way, are way too low. Right? So it's now adaptive, and then they, they get this, they withdraw. Their withdrawal makes biological sense, but withdrawing at that, le- uh, that level of badness, whatever it was in your life, is not adaptive. Maybe some might have a depression threshold that's too high. No one's really looked at that. So what about those individuals? Like, mm-hmm. I have no idea if this was possible or even you know, comprehensible. But there, there's now, like, a group of individuals in our time where they're technically clinically depressed, but they have the self-deprecating humor as a form of coping. Okay. So, so you mean like every stand-up comedy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Like they joke and they right? say, oh, I missed the bus. I thought about killing myself, but instead I just walk. Like that kind of thing where they okay. just, they are cowards. Is that a real thing though? Yeah. Yes. I do yes. No, 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 no. I realize we do it. By the way, I'm 52 years old, have three university degrees, and I still sit down to tie my shoes. Um, <laughs> I do. I do. I, I can't tie my shoes standing up. I fall over. Look, I know my limitations. Um, but that's being callous and having a dark sense of humor. I have a very exceedingly dark, I hope you've noticed, an exceedingly dark sense of humor. But I don't think that's depression, is it? Like, would you call that? I mean, I don't think it's disordered behavior. It's perhaps a little off putting to some. So then, individuals who have depression and then say that they use that as a coping mechanism, it's not necessarily. Oh, they may not, maybe they do have depression. I'm not saying they don't or haven't been diagnosed. I'm, I'm just saying I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. Okay. That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I also, now, now I'm thinking of, you know, people in the EEA doing stand-up. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's the deal on saber-toothed tigers? Am I right, people? <laughs> it's like every comic in the 80s. Was that Jerry Seinfeld? Uh, it was more a an homage to 1980s comedy. So... Is this a good explanation for depression? Depressed people may actually, there are some data on this, be a little more accurate in their assessment of their prospects about, say, problem solving or anything like that than non-depressed people. So there is a correlation between your score on the Beck depression inventory and it eventually drops off because... You're, you don't want to do anything. But there is a correlation there between, uh, say, things like self-assessment of abilities to solve a problem and depression. Remember we talked about self, self-deception? Yeah. Yeah. So we, most of us deceive ourselves. Say, oh, I can do it. No, oh, you can't. You really, really can't. So seasonal affective disorder talking about that a little bit. How does it explain seasonal affective disorder? Living anywhere, think about where we evolved, where we started from. The equator. With you. It's nice there. Days are as long as the nights. There's food everywhere. Okay, you're saying we get that. But then we start migrating out. 
mechanism to show you that you've probably what's that? The bottom. Okay. An interesting mechanism. Oh, maybe somebody's plugged in. That's all. To, 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 to sort of point out to you that you've maybe gone a little too far north, a little too far south, would be get you to stop when the nights get too long. Right? You can say that'd be adaptive, right? Now, the amazing thing about humans is we can overcome all this and we can find food anywhere and we can live anywhere. The only place humans don't live is Antarctica. I mean, there's some. But no one actually is from there. There are no native people in Antarctica. Everywhere else in the world, in the world, somebody's been living there for a long time. I would love to see data comparing Inuit people and southern people Sorry, Inuit people and non-Inuit people who both live in the Northwest Territories and their level of seasonal epidemics. I would love to see that. Because the Inuit people have been there a very long time, probably long enough to allow for some sort of selection there. White people have moved up there and been living there for a good 60 or 80 years. <laughs> so that's because, you know, it's not long enough for them to be home. I'd, I'd love to see that. Did people migrate because of the ge geographical changes? I mean... Like uh, you said, there was a cataclysmic event, right? Oh yeah, but that's a long. That's sort of before. Idea. That's even before. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's before we even started going into Africa yet. So the migration was because um, just to find new resources. Yeah, I mean, it's like we we multiply and uh, we're smart, so we end up going from think about this, going from two thousand to seven and a half billion. In 200,000 years, it's pretty damn impressive. With, with a generation time to say 15 years, this is really pretty impressive. Um, yeah, so it's like there's different places to go to get food. And then they were just okay. We're just going to chill here. That's the guess. I mean, until my time machine's complete, we'll really never know. But, but that's a guess. Yeah. When will it be complete? Uh, that, I, I can't. I can't oh. say anymore. Or I, I will. Uh, Man in Black will come and uh, then they'll the thing, and then we'll figure out everything. There are female versus male differences in, in, in major depressive disorders such that women are much more susceptible to it than men. Uh, the paper talks about the correlation with, and so does one of the letters the editor, with uh, sex hormone levels. It's probably adaptive for females to withdraw when they are not fertile. Less chance of being uh, of, of expending the energy to, to mate when you're not going to have any babies. So is that like how, like maybe a reason why premenstrual depression? Yeah, that's one. Of the, the one, the one of, I think the second letter there, there talks about that specifically. Yeah. So the depression case is really nice, and I think that's why I sent you that paper. It's pretty cool. And it's probably where the most work has been done. So we can ask ourselves, why is depression so common? It's a very common disorder. Yeah? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the EEA versus today disconnect. Uh, we used to live in families, in family groups of 50 people, clans as we've dubbed them now, um, and they're close relatives. So, in fact, the more chance of reciprocal altruism more chance of just being nice to each other because of kin selection. 
One of the things that we have today that we didn't used to have are these things called jaws. Up until we stop being hunter-gatherers, there are jobs. Like, this is what you do. And the pressures that come with those things, which are huge parts of being adults, that didn't exist. And power isn't visible today. As visible. Right? It was pretty obvious who ran the show in the EA. You knew everybody. That's pretty easy. Uh, today, it's it's hard to tell. And we compare ourselves to people that we can't have any, you know, athletes, movie stars, and famous YouTubers. I hope you don't. We weren't making those comparisons 10,000 years ago. You might compare yourself to somebody, your second cousin over there, who also pretty much runs the clan. That's about it. And it's pretty obvious that he runs the clan because he's, uh, I don't know, a necklace with a alligator teeth on or something. That's it? No, that's from uh, Walking with Kate. That's what I mentioned. So Ness has said that maybe depression is like regulation. Or sort of negotiation. <coughs> you get help from kin even though they're not around. So they're not around now, but what it was for, for before was for your, to get something from your kin, something from your family. So it's sort of like you're negotiating. And this is when Nessa talks about postpartum depression as like, I want someone else to take care of the baby for a while. I'm very tired. I just had a baby and I'm a cave woman. It's, it, it took a lot out of me. Most of us die in childbirth. Can you please do something for me? Right, so it explains postpartum depression nicely. It explains it at a, at a functional level. This is a really novel idea. Okay? I will say, uh, an honor student of mine did a really neat experiment. Oh, when did she do this? Jocelyn Court was probably in 2011, and what she did is she wanted to see if people who were depressed appropriately were more attractive than people who were not depressed than they should be. So she showed pictures of people who were of medium attractiveness and then she wrote a little story about them and it was either people had just you know, lost a family member and they were either talked about as being sad and down and depressed recently or not and then she wanted to see if the people who were depressed were actually found to be more attractive and they were in other words, it has an appropriate reaction. In that case, we might call look like the symptoms of depression. We're actually seen as being attractive. Cool, right? When she came to my office when she was working with me and said, I want to do something on the evolution of depression, I said, that's neat. I don't know how we're going to study this, but it's neat. So that was a pretty cool thesis. yourself seems counterproductive to passing on your genes. So we can't talk about group selection, the idea of, well, then I'm old. I'm going to go out on a nice flow. 
and wave to you as I get eaten by a polar bear. It's not true. That's not a thing. However, if we look at it from kin selection rather than group selection, and people have analyzed suicide, this is depressing. People have analyzed suicide notes. People often talk about being a burden to their family financially. As one of the reasons that they uh, kill themselves. Not always, but it's a very common reason. So we can think of suicide that way. So that was a let's let's do anxiety disorders. At least they're not the sad depression and suicide. So phobias are fun. We talked a bit about this. Phobias seem to be learned. I mentioned this Sue, a couple weeks ago, right? And I mentioned that no one's afraid of houses or cars. And then someone looked up that there actually is technically a fear of houses called the houseophobia, except the house was in Greek, because we have to do that because it's a phobia. But sharks and snakes are things you're afraid of. And that actually makes some evolutionary sense because they could kill you. It's funny, I mentioned this. People are afraid of flying, but not of airplanes overhead, even if they've, they've been through bombing. It's unsettling. You've got to understand there's a phobia and something being un- unsettling. A phobia is debilitating fear of a situation or a thing. Right? Like it's, it's, it's palpable. You stop what you do, you can't do anything else. So someone who's a refugee from Syria who's been through the horrible things they've been through don't like to hear jet fighters. I get that. But they don't stop everything. And, and, and this, the data showed this with people that lived through the Bosnian uh, civil war in, in Syria who were going through, went through a siege of that city for about two or three years. They aren't afraid of airplanes overhead. Some of them are afraid of flying, but that's different. Being that high up in the air in giant metal tubes That's an interesting one. Psychopaths or sociopaths? Ew. Ew. Not them. This might be a reproductive strategy. It's successful if it's rare. In that I get resources from others, and then I can sort of pass my genes on, I can be very charming, yada yada and then run away. It's a little shame or guilt here, This, which, which gives us the idea that we talk about social emotions and reciprocal altruism. I think it fits, fits in with that. So you're, what, what, a, what a psychopath is doing is playing on reciprocal altruism. And maybe they can't feel the sort of, same sort of things that we regular people feel. So maybe this gives them some kind of, this odd behavior gives them some kind of outlet. Okay. I've heard that. I'm not sure I buy that. I like the idea of playing a reciprocal altruism. That's great.
So now we talk about ASD, autism spectrum disorders. Um, I've got an autistic son, you know, and I've sort of read extensively on this. So this is characterized, as you probably know, by a lack of social interaction or very poor social interaction. Um, repetitive behavior. So, this is sometimes called stimming. So, you'll see somebody do this. Okay, that's something that is. I've asked my son why he does it, and he said because it feels good, so it's hard for him to explain why. But I've heard it said that because of having trouble putting things together, sort of putting together all the experiences and, and, and memories and everything we're having all the time, that it's it's reminding you where your hands are. Which is something we don't have to think about. Like, I know what my hands are. But it's behaviorally doing that. So the repetitive behavior, it can be stimming, but it could other, be other things too. So it's not like fidgeting though, where like sometimes no. we tap our feet or like... no. It's, it's, in fact, pen flapping is one of the things that's literally in the um, set, like actually there. But you might see other repetitive behavior like stacking things. Okay, so stacking cans. There's a, there's a wonderful picture before John was diagnosed, but he had his sister's chest set out and he just lined up all the pieces. Right? I should have known right there. It's like, uh, you think something's going on? It's actually his t shirt. I don't know what I'm wearing this t-shirt. Well, well, I like this t-shirt. Nonetheless, I'm, I'm going to get grilled today as to why I'm wearing this t-shirt. Are keys going to get mad at you? Oh, yeah. If you get mad, he'll, he'll want a series of reasons as to why I'm wearing this. That's valid. No, it's fair. It's just his clothes. Yeah. I wonder who paid for them. I wonder who that was. <laughs> Does it have to be a good reason? Just be sensible reasons. Sensible reasons. Yeah, yeah. If I said because Jesus told me to, he'd look at me like. What happens if you're just because I wanted it? I don't. Don't try that one first. <laughs> no, I'll say because I like this T-shirt. And I wanted to wear it today. You know, and then I'll mention how he wears my socks almost every day. So, like, he goes into my room in the morning. And I'm not even up yet because he has to get up early for school. I have to get up early on Tuesday and Thursday. And I hear he's going through my drawers, getting socks. Going, the whole time. It's like, shut up. He didn't talk to me before, and he, he hasn't shut up since. Uh, it's, uh, it's really something. Uh, fixations on some characteristic or something. Uh, my son is obsessed with airplane crashes. Uh, to the point where he knows them all. And I, like any commercial airline crash, you know, he knows it. And I mean, he knows what date it was. He knows how many people. I feel like I should call him to put him on speaker here. Did you just like spend like hours researching it? Yeah. When you get on a plane with him, does he tell you how many? No, because we practice before we we've, we've gone on planes before, and we have a whole practice thing about this is how you behave on an airplane. No, he's still at CNN. He's not waiting. If he was waiting for the bus or something, I'd call him and I'd put him on speaker and he'd ask him some plain questions. You've already No. Hi, Dad. That's the first thing he'd say in a loud, monotone voice. Um, 
No, no, no. We've practiced. We've only, he's only been on a plane, well, two plane trips, and one of them he was six months old. And I ran from one plane to another, carrying him like a football. The other time we went down to Toronto, and before we went, I told him you are not to talk about plane crashes on the plane or in the airport. He said, but a Dash 8 crash? I said, I know. <laughs> and near Buffalo. I know a lot of it sort of seeps into me now. I said, but you can't tell, because people get afraid on the plane. And I said, and they will kick you off a plane if you upset them. He said, why would they do that? I said, because people don't want to hear about people dying on airplanes. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, okay. And he was fine. He just, and we got off the plane, and he, the, the pilot was there in the red tent saying, see you later, bye-bye, bye-bye. And he looked at the pilot, he said, your piloting skills are remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know why, and the guy went, thanks. He's like, you probably didn't hear that very much. So John's uh, obsessed with um, plane practice. So he knows... You know that show Mayday? Yeah, yeah. He's seen all of them. Yeah. And actually, I went to high school with the narrator of that show. So I emailed him, I put them in touch, and now John got a signed script. Uh, but he also, uh, John su- starts suggesting to my friend Steve, you should do this, this, this crash. Steve's like, I'm not a producer, man. I just read stuff. And then he emailed John. You know, because John wanted to do some, I don't know, some obscure British airline that crashed in 1973. It's an interesting one. And then it was the premiere of this season, so Stephen yelled at John and said, guess what? We're doing that one. I think John should get a co-producer credit. Uh, so it's, it's always on something. Um, when he was really small, uh, he used to stand and watch television like just like this. <coughs> and I'm actually small, like nine months old. So that's pretty common. And he doesn't do it now, but it used to be if you were talking to him at some point, it, the conversation, he would steer it towards airplane crashes. He's also interested a lot in movies and knowing about producers, directors, and who's been in what, and all that kind of thing. So. And he makes up his own movies. I mean, he doesn't make movies. He just makes up his own ideas and credits and posters and everything. So many autistic people are mentally retarded. About fifty percent. People that don't that don't aren't what we used to call people with Asperger's. So people that are more severely autistic, like myself. Um, the percentage seems to be going down. What I mean by that is we're learning better how to teach people that have autism, and it turns out they are maybe of normal intelligence. It's just harder to teach them. So with John O, I've got to, I've got to uh, tell him things. And I always have to tell him the same thing. What do you think people think of when you act like that? And he has to think about it. So if we're in a restaurant, and he... Yeah, no, restaurants are actually pretty good. He orders his own stuff and everything. But if we're out somewhere and he's really loud, I have to say, please be quiet. Do you think everyone here wants to hear you talk about whatever it is? Uh, really loud. No, they don't do it. Right? So it's, it's something that you have to actually explain to him, and you don't have to explain that to all, all of us, right? Because that's just, we're built that way. He's not built that way. So, what's the evolutionary angle? One idea here is the theory of mind module is either malfunctioning or it's not there. 
and I can see that again with John that I have to explain to him how others think. Are these social cues? Is that... How do you mean? Like, you know how when you enter a room, like a classroom, let's say someone came in this classroom, I assume they would just be like, hey, Dave. Paul would, but no one else would oh. be on that. Yeah, Because yeah. we sometimes interrupt each other for fun. But yeah, most people, somebody wouldn't just walk in. That's right. That's what I refer to as a Yeah, okay, fair enough. That's fair enough. I understand. Yeah. Uh, it would depend on the situation. He'd have to be taught things like that, yes. Yeah, he knows how to behave in school. He sits there, he's quiet, he listens, he writes things down, all that stuff. But he had to be taught that, and you don't really have... And it took a long time. It took most of us, what, a couple of weeks in grade one. And we learned, you shut up when the teacher talks, you do what you're told, right? We learned those things pretty quickly. It took him a long time to learn that, right? And he still interrupts, like my wife and I are having a conversation, he'll just interrupt it and, and talk about something that has nothing to do with it. And I always have to look at him and say, we were having a conversation. Please wait until we're done. And then he goes, was I being rude? A little bit. Is it obnoxious? Sort of. Was I being loud? Not when you're usually loud. Can you please come in. Was my volume at 110%? I don't know. I, I haven't done the math on it, but it can't really, there's no such thing as 110%. No. And then it goes from there. And then finally, it's like, okay, what did you want? Because this is most of the time you know what we're talking about here. I forgot. He's an amazing kid. I, I love him to death, but it's it's a challenge sometimes. Let's just say that. So, knowing this, I can actually say that interacting with John is probably a lot easier for me. If you know these kind of things, with autistic people. I have another friend, uh, I have a friend who's, who's, who's got... He's on the spectrum. He's, we, we used to call him Asperger's. And I told him how to shake hands. Because I was shaking hands with him once, and he just kept shaking. And I said, I've got a rule of thumb for you. One, two, three, four. Put your hand in your pocket. And he said, that's very useful. Because it never occurred to him. That he, like, when do you stop? Right? Or... Yeah, so... There's a notion that autistic people have a hyper-male brain. Um, the idea here is that it's exceedingly... That the spatial skills are really good and also exceedingly analytical to the point of it being obsessive. That's in quotes there because those are just male qualities. Right? We know that. And is that also contributing to why it's more prevalent in boys. Yeah, that's that's oh, okay. that's my next point. Oh. Is that uh, that's not my next point, but it is much more likely to be in boys and girls. And kids of scientists are more likely to be autistic than kids of non-scientists. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But like the qualities, the, the, the focus of doing science, that quality, now having too much of that quality is bad. Right? Principal Skinner said in The Simpsons that science has all the fun of sitting down, paying attention, sitting still, and writing down numbers. And in a lot of respects, that's what it is. Uh, there's a couple of thesis students in this class that could probably attest to that. It, it, the, the drudgery of doing science is drudgery. It's not fun, right? It's fun the first day and the last day. The middle part is just like, oh, God. 
here's some questionnaires, fill them out and go away. No, you don't do that. Maybe it's, it's like that? You feel like that? I wish that was easy. You feel like that, right? Um, but the point is, too much of that focus is now at. Dave, yes, uh, is there any explanation for that point then? That you have kids of us scientists are more. Well, I just said, right, that the, the, the scientist part, the, thing, the, the things that, are, that, that help you do science are things like the ability to focus on a problem, an ability to focus on very small parts of a problem. Right? Mm-hmm. Scientists don't, most of us aren't Darwin or Einstein, most of us are me. Okay. Right? So most of us aren't changing the world and the way we think about some. Discipline. Most of us are just doing drudgery experiments, and that takes a lot of focus. So much so that if you have too much of that, maybe you're autistic. So it's just having too much of a quality that the parents have, or one of them. So that gets past. Yeah, that's the notion. That's the notion. Uh, boys are much much more likely to be autistic than girls as well. One of the interesting things uh, I know that, for example. There is a, and it's not a diagnostic tool, but, but there is something called um, the autism quotient. It's a, it's a paper test. It's valid and it's reliable. It's uh, developed by um, Simon Baron Cohen, who's a, one of the world's foremost experts in autism. Also, the cousin of Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat. <coughs> Literally, he really is. And they look kind of the same. So you see Senator Cohen talking about, and he's a scientist, and he's, he's in Cambridge in the psychology department, and you keep expecting to say, sexy time, at some point. It's really weird. Um, but he's developed this autism quotient, and it's used once people have been already diagnosed. So remember, if you take it, it's not diagnostic. But if you've been diagnosed, and he brings you into his lab, and he wants to do some work with you, he then gives you this questionnaire, and it correlates with all kinds of other behavior. Um, if you score 50 on it, you're autistic. 36, it used to be that you were called Asperger's. So 39, I scored 38. I just took it with that. Again, it's not diagnostic, but there's a lot of things in there. I go, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like I said, the boy comes by it, honestly. I, I, I when I was... Ten years old, I memorized the flags of every country in the world. And the capital city. And the unit of money. And the largest mountain. Because I'm a freak. Do you still know that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not the mountains. And the flags have changed in a lot of places. Africa, a lot of flags changed. But, um, oh yeah, capital cities. Yeah, it's trivia. Yeah, and trivia. When I was on a reach the top team, you probably have seen reach the top. It was like a competition between high schools. And then the game show, teams of four on each from each school. And uh, I was the captain of our team in our high school. And it was on TV and the whole thing. And we were practicing one day, and the teacher, our coach, said, Okay, uh, and we had little buzzers that we were practicing. He said, This country has 22 states. And I went, This is Brazil. And he said, Yes. How do you know that? I said, Well, Brazil has 22 states. I don't know. It's just a thing. It's a thing people know. And that's when I realized not everybody knows that kind of stuff. Or as my, my brother, though, has said recently, we have not entertained the possibility that he's been making this shit up since he was eight years old. So, so I, I, like I said, I, I have some characteristics, is what I'm saying. Not so much Isabel. I, I blame me. And society, man. And obviously vaccines. 
That was, I'm kidding. Vaccines are safe. Anybody thinks vaccines for the autism is an idiot. Okay, so schizophrenia. Um, or as my prof, my, speaking of abnormal psych, my abnormal psych prof at Western in 1985 called it schizophrenia. The interesting thing is he never rolled his R's in any other word. And that I thought was really strange behavior, and I still think it's strange behavior. Joke it could be, right? I mean, I make jokes for me all the time, so maybe he's just doing that. So the, here's a question. Does creativity go with schizophrenia? And I, I mentioned that at the beginning. Probably not. So it's probably not the case that schizophrenics are more creative than non-schizophrenics, or creative people are more schizophrenic than non-creative people. Uh, measuring creativity is tough. By the way, I think we talked about that the other day. Um, however, Schizophrenics have more creative relatives. So if we look at the relatives of people with schizophrenia, they are more likely to be academics, artists, things like that. It's interesting. So it may be that it's too much of the creativity thing, but it's going the wrong way kind of thing. It's not going into creativity, it's going into hearing voices and delusions. You got a bar over there or something? No, it's all this. Do you want some? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're good. They actually taste kind of sweet. They are good. I just, I needed something. No, it's good. I haven't eaten since. I had a lot of back bacon. I didn't even remember I protein for you. I ate back bacon because of the Olympics, and that's, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Patriotic. Oh, it's Because, you know, we Canadians are pretty awesome. Put all that metal. I do my part by eating back Um <laughs> Russia was playing the states in women's hockey today, and I didn't know who to cheer against. You know, you watch them. There's the cheaters and the Americans. Tough call. Tough call. Pretty good Americans are going to So there might be some relationship there. It's complicated. This one's kind of complicated. <laughs> before we hit the before we hit the, the slide, um, they're really almond and almond. Right? They are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've got like the, an almond extract taste, like a cherry taste. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Damn Everybody, bring. No, I'm just saying, bring nuts. I, I'm all for it. Not Brazil nuts. Brazil nuts are the worst nuts ever. They're about this big. You got a, a cucumber, and so you, when you have to mix nuts, and you go, oh god, one of these. You got to. But they're buttery. Yeah, you got to make a choice. Like, what do I start with? The nuts shouldn't do that. You put them in your mouth. Would you want to hear a Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. I know. I know. Okay. Before we get to the conclusion slide, though, um, you got some time. So you got some time. Does anybody have any questions about, because I'm, I'm, I'm happy to answer them, but, uh, autism, but my experience with it, all that kind of stuff, I'm happy to answer I don't know what they are. Everyday life is Oh, like what? What life's like? Yeah. yeah. Um, breakfast. Let's start with breakfast. Uh, breakfast. He makes his own. Gets up in the morning. Makes his own breakfast. Uh, usually cook something. Oh yeah. Take the eggs. Let's cook. Yeah. You like to cook too. Yeah. So. 
what led him like into like that conversation on the airplane? I really honestly don't know. Like he probably just like on the computer. Yeah, I think think that's part of it. Um, I think part of it's that. I think part of it is that seeing video of plane crashes when you're a boy and you're six or five just mm-hmm. looks cool. Yeah. So I, I think it's partly that. Um, so I think there's something there. Uh, I know that for a time he thought everyone was interested in playing The guy I talked about, who was, I was giving advice to about shaking hands, and guys Asperger's, that guy has a master's degree in psychology. Um, and he studied autistic obsessions for his master's. And he interviewed John. And he asked John, do you think everyone finds plane crashes interesting? And he said, yes. <laughs> He's about six. Right, now he knows that everyone doesn't find it interesting. Right? So yeah, he makes up breakfast, he gets dressed, goes to school, like gets on the school bus at 7.30. Um, yeah. Standard good comes home. Half the, not half. A fifth of the time when he comes home, He's had a bad day, and it's ruined his whole rest of his day. And it's not fun. Like something, and it can be the smallest thing, something that would not bother you or me. Oftentimes it's two students that go to school arguing, and it upsets him. He'll come home and he'll be just devastated by it. Uh, and he'll cry, and he'll be very, very sad, and he'll uh, uh, sort of punish himself. He'll say things like, I'm not going to listen to the Greyhound game tonight, which is one of his things he likes to do too. Uh, I'm not going to watch any videos. I'm not. I'm going to have a bath and go to bed early. I'm going to go to bed at seven o'clock at night. The other days, which are much more common, he comes home. He'll make some, himself something to eat again because he's a giant of a man. Um, and then he'll look at what's the frosting on the on the, on the, on the on the sort of thing you do when you come home. Yeah, what's for dinner? Um, and some of the time, a lot of the time, he gets. An answer he doesn't like. No, I, I just I'll make him something else. It's not worth fighting over. Um, I also don't think you should make people eat food that don't like it. It's sort of a child rearing. Um, but then um, he'll eat and he eats a lot. And then he, you know, he plays video games, all that stuff. Uh, goes on Instagram and Facebook and looks at things. Does he ever? Um, like I went to high school with a girl who she would have a meltdown if there was um, too much overstimulation, like a sensory overload. That happens a lot less than it used to. Okay. Because now he'll he'll just leave. Oh, because he knows. He knows it's going to be bad, so he just gets up and leaves. Mm -hmm. So at his school, he goes, he's in a special program um, where his school in the morning is at the Bushburn Museum, and in the afternoon he works at the Bushburn Museum. So it's getting him done. Oh, it's like co-op. It kind of. And it's all for kids like him. So... When it's too much, he just gets up and he leaves. And when he was going to White Pines in regular school for two years, the first part of this program for his job placements, it was understood that he could just get up and leave. Yeah. Uh, and that was the same way in, in elementary school. He was basically understood very quickly that if he wanted to, he could get up and leave. Yeah. Um, meltdowns do happen, and they are uh, a meltdown from someone who's 5'10", about 220, something to behold. Um... He's not as strong as I am because he doesn't have dad strength. I've been listening. I, I've been lifting things longer. That's, that's where dad strength comes from. You've been lifting things longer. That's all it is. Right? But he's massive. Like he's a big kid. 
I couldn't take them off. I probably could, but it wouldn't be a good idea. You could, you just get a hernia. Yeah. Uh, ignore him. That's all you can do. I ignore him, his mother does less ignore him. Yeah, that, that's because we have different approaches to things, and that's fine. She's a pretty amazing mom. So is it kind of like, not to do any stupid comparisons, but like, if you have a toddler that's crying, yeah. sometimes you ignore them because you know that they're crying over something. Yeah. And like, also you don't want to bring attention to it, right? Yeah, and you don't want to reinforce it. Yeah. yeah. It's all reinforced. So theory. same kind of... Yeah, okay. yeah. What, in a lot of respects, I've got a man who has the... <clears throat> mental capacity of someone who's about 16, but who's got the emotional capacity of someone who's over four. So, it's, it can be very challenging. Um, but, it, most of it's fine. It's, yeah, once you get the hang of it. Yeah, it, it, it's more things like hearing, if he gets up, he gets exceedingly early sometimes. He'll get up at 4.30. And we have a one-story house, like a bungalow, and then finish basement. There's a lot of room and everything, but like he'll just run around the house like, ah, ah, like just doing that, and that's a lot of noise. I usually what I usually do is I roll over, pick up my phone, text him like, "Will you be quiet? I'm trying to sleep." And then he's like, "Sorry." No, it's more that makes him happy, and it's not hurting anybody, but if it's. You know, if it's ridiculously yeah, if, if early or something, I ask him to stop. He stops. He's good though. He's a good. He's a really. He's a very sweet person. He's a really, really nice person. Some of you may have seen. It comes to class sometimes. Not so much anymore because we can leave him at home. He's not going to wreck anything. You know, he's, it's pretty safe to leave at home. Yeah, please. Um, because I don't know if they have done it yet, but there's been a lot of talk about it, at least of taking Tourette's off the spectrum. Yeah. I don't know that they're so related. So I think it maybe makes some sense, but I don't really know enough about Tourette's that. Because, this is, because my, my brother has Tourette's. Okay. And a lot of the time when I hear people talking about their kids or their friends, it's like, yeah, no, like, it sounds familiar. It's a lot of the same kind of stuff. The, okay. way, the way they think, the over-analytical, the... Okay. I find it's the same. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I've heard that, but I've also... I'm also no, no, I've done very little, if any, reading on Tourette's. It's more my, my feelings about it. Okay. Anything else on that before we go over to the, we'll conclude here? Okay, um, this stuff is the beginning, okay? We're, it, it's early days on disorders, but I think it's promising, this evolutionary angle. Um, it's a fresh look at stuff. This may lead to triggers, I don't know. I think any time you understand something, uh, some disorder, you're going to have a better time treating it. Right? I mean, I think that just makes sense. So it also doesn't mean it's... Whoops. Oh, it's, it's all in your head, or it's better to be normal or not, or whatever. I mean, people think the wrong message so often from uh, evolutionary approach to things. So, just because I say it's adaptive doesn't mean it's good, it doesn't mean it's bad, it is. And it's also, quote, that therefore, these things are all, quote, natural. So natural isn't necessarily good. Don't fall for the naturalistic fallacy. 
And on that note, I will turn off the recording. Let's see you next time. listening to the lecture um all of the audio is available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for da- uh, dr dave broadbeck's uh, psychology lectures now going university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a sh- uh, uh, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to mash them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff or like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music; they're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.